Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome. This is Denise Michaels. I am here with Bill Sims of Accent Wire CEO. Um, today is Friday, November the 6th. 2015, and our conversation today is about vendor relationships, which I know is something that, you know, since our first conversation, it's something that you've wanted to talk about. So I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, hearing what you have to say about it, and I've got the um, book outline in front of me, and all the things that you wanted, or at least you said before you wanted to cover on it, who knows, we might come up with something else, you know. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, so you told me that when your dad started the business, um, I remember you telling me this, you said he convinced one of the mills to supply him with product, to give him some open credit for that. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, um, when JP started the business, that was it's one of the, I mean, particularly when you're starting up, and you know, it's it's frankly, it's one of the reasons. Um, I think it's one of the reasons people have trouble breaking into our business or any other business. Is um, you know, it's it's a upfront. It, it it's absolutely a challenge. Um, I mean, you may get if you're breaking into a new market, you may get pricing from a vendor, and you don't know if it's um competitive or not. And you know, generally, many or most vendors. A lot of them have their distribution um, network set up already. So, and that was the challenge JP had. Um, and, you know, in our little finite world, it's also a problem that I think prospective people who are coming in or trying to sell the product to compete with us have trouble. Because, you know, all the, the, the people who make this wire in the United States are tied in with two or three people that supply it. And so um, it's extremely hard for somebody to break into this business. For us. So, so did your dad have to go to a few different vendors to find one who was willing to play ball? Uh, he did. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's and you know we we at the time had a competitor who was um, you know, there, I, I'm not sure if this is antitrust or not, um, meaning collusional, which means illegal, but. You know, we had a number of one competitor that was specifically going to his vendors and saying, "If you sell Accent any tonnage, I'm going to pull all my tons." Um, wow! And so, getting set up with vendors can be, um, you know, it's 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 the first hurdle I think to get a, a a good set of vendors to supply your product, and that that applies to any of these businesses, whether you're doing um, textiles out of China. Um, or wired of out of Arkansas. I mean, um, so what do you think helped him finally break through? Because you said you know he kind of had a rough time with that at first. You know, I think um, my father just had a partnership mentality towards the vendors, and I, I think it in startup you have to right. I mean, it sounds really... like you do too. You know, I mean, like we haven't gone into this topic in depth, but you've talked about kind of like letting vendors win sometimes, and I mean that sounds like a partner relationship to me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, I've got a little different model now. Model, it's not a model, a little different situation. I mean, at least in in. Our little world accents probably the largest buyer of industrial wire in the United States, and so you know I hate to say it, but when when I walk into a room with a wire mill, um, you know they're falling all of themselves to sell us wire. I mean it just so I, I've got a little bit 
you know, they want to wine and dine you. And yeah, frankly, I've, I've just, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a much easier job for me than it was for JP. I mean, like I said, you, you walk into a wire mill now and your accent, you're, you're the largest buyer of industrial wire in North America. And so, um, I mean, of course they're wanting to sell you. Um, right. Now, you know, back then with JP, um, boy, it was, you know, and so I think, you know, I, and I do think having a, even today, having a um, kind of a, a partnership mentality towards mills is important. I'll be, I'll be honest, we're probably a little bit more mercenary towards mills, at least when it comes to pricing. Did you say mercenary? A little bit. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> and Just want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, in that, you know, um, because it's hard. Uh, if you're dealing with one mill and you're making 15% and you're happy with 15%, then, you know, everybody's happy, right? If you're dealing with six mills and you're making 15% and all of a sudden four or five of the mills are cheaper than the other two mills, you expect the other two mills to get, get on price-wise. Yes. And so, um, yeah. you know, that's that's what I mean by being a little bit more mercenary. And, you know, I try to give them feed. I, I try to give mills feedback and, um, you know, it's just, it's. I'd say competitive, maybe. Yeah. Um, mercenary is a more colorful word, though, though. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, um, and some of our products were extremely mercenary on um, it just it kind of depends on the product and and the market that we're in on whether we're really mercenary or not. Um, I mean when we're buying name something paper towels. I mean mm-hmm. we're 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 100 mercenary. I mean you know it's so it's it's kind of you know we're just very com- economic when it comes to you know back off the supply stuff. Um, but yeah, for our our main primary mills, the suppliers, the vendors that we're dealing with, that are really the face of Accent, essentially. Um, you know, the stuff that goes into our products, we're, we we really do try to, you know, do a win-win. And where a win doesn't mean I win and then I win again. Right, right. Well, win-win means everyone wins. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, so setting up at first, what do you think? Sort of like crack the code for JP that I, th- I think got what him cracked, through. You know, it's interesting because I think a couple things cracked code. One, um, he was a salesperson, and um, you know, when you're going to a mill, particularly in the beginning, you're having to sell whatever you're selling to your customers. You're selling the same thing to the vendors. Meaning, um, you're selling accent and what you could potentially be, and your ideas, and how you can differentiate between the other people in the industry. Why they want to partner with you, just like why the customer wants to buy from you. Um, and I, I do think my father had that partnership mentality, which was um, in contrast to I think the way the other major company that was, you know, controlling the market at the time when Accent started up um, approached their mills. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know the other guy who, you know, we were lucky. I mean, at the time, the the manager or the, the, the president of the company that we competed with, eventually our main competitor, but at the time they were the 800-pound gorilla, I mean, was a, um, you know, was a jerk to Mills. And, you know, for example, like I said earlier, if you, um, if you sell anything to Accent, we're going to pull our returns. I mean, Mills don't like to be threatened like that. Um, right. Nobody does. Nobody does. And so, I think there was a little bit of an opportunity or a window open there, just by the fact that the competitor, was, you know, threw their weight around, and um, you know, some people are going to be scared of that. But a couple mills were, um, you know, just decided, you know, I'd rather do business with this with a little less tonnage. Um, right. Right. So that was the the other really. When you look back on it now, because um, I'm not sure how my father was able to do it, because um, now you, you get it. Yeah, he's a sales guy, you know. Yeah, but those 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 mills now, um, Accent essentially gets 60 day terms from all of our big mills, 
and um, I mean, you know, it's it's again, it's one thing now for me. You know, if there's a mill in Tennessee that wants to sell accent, they come in and do a proposal. I mean, okay, accent buys pays our bills in sixty days from all of our mills. If you want to play, you got to you know, you got to match those right. payment terms. So, so you guys are in the buyer's seat completely now. At the time, you though, know. it was an amazing thing to be able to um talk a mill or two into helping our working capital situation by giving us 60-day terms um, back then. Today, right. again, it's, just, it's not that hard for me to do. Um, it was much more interesting and challenging, um, but it was also mission critical. I mean, you know, as you, <clears throat> as you, um, as you, you know, I've, I've said in a few times, the mill relationship is, um, almost more important than the customer relationship. Yeah, because, I see you're kind of whispering as you say that. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's particularly for salespeople. Salespeople just are, um, and I would say that was probably the case more so back then. Um, but you lose a mill, you lose the ability to service possibly hundreds of customers. Sure, uh, sure. And so, um, you know, I don't want to say the mill is more important than a customer, but keeping a good relationship with the mill. I mean, okay, you know, occasionally we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, the customer is not always right, and sometimes you have to make a decision to part ways with the customer. Um, right. Yeah, we talked and, about that last week in the customer service. Yeah. If, if, you, if, if you've got three thousand customers, I mean, you know, it's it's a you know, it's not how you want to you know, it's not something you want to do often, but um. Sometimes it's the best decision for both parties. Um, Sometimes mill, you gotta walk away. Yep, for a mill, it's something much different and takes on a much larger perspective. Um, so yeah. Okay. All right. So one of the things you have here on the on our outline is you said critical to your success, which you've been talking about already, and then you have the word sort of a shell game. Sort of a shell game. Yeah. Is that something that it may or may not be something that matters? So you know. Well, you know what? You know what? That may that old that old um. You know, I've talked about it a few times, but it was it was a. I mean the 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 times when my parents would have or my dad would have um people um. Hang on just a second, Denise. Step on the phone. Could you see if Todd needs something critical? Just a second. It's 45 minutes. Okay. Oh. It's 45 minutes. Yeah, he's going to sit. No, that's all right. Um... You know, back in the day when my, I used to tell you that story, when my dad just started, he would have neighbors call the office mm -hmm. to make it seem like they were very busy. That, oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, so, you know, if that was done when vendors were in, not when a customer was in. Oh. And so, um, you know, the perception of, um, we used to never send out financials to vendors. Today, you can send out financials because, you know, I mean, you're, again, once again, you're you're who you are. But back then, um, you know, we used to hide behind the thing. We're, we're a closely held private company, We don't, and the policy is not to release financials. Um, and just so people didn't see that at the time, Accent was a $4 million company, you know. Um, you know, the perception you were trying to generate is you're bigger than you are. Um, same sure. thing with... Um, same thing, like I said, when, when a mill comes in and sits in your office, you know, your next-door neighbor is calling every five minutes. Um, right. That's just, just so the phone is ringing and ringing and ringing. Um, <laughs> you know, so, you know, like I said. You, it's kind of sneaky, but I like it. <laughs> and I, maybe that's what I was talking about with the shell game. I see. Sure, sure. Hang sure. on just a second, Denise. Let me... Yeah, take care of whatever you need to take care of. Bigger the better. 
All right, I'm back. Sorry. All right. Um, so I think that maybe that's what I was talking about with a shell game. Um, particularly in startup, you you know it's you know the how did JP how did my father kind of bring a couple vendors on board? I mean, goes back to selling accent, but selling accent was also a little bit of um, you know we're not releasing financials. Um, mm-hmm. It's really really under the policy of um, you know small private held company or a, or a close private held company. But the main reason is you don't you didn't want your vendors to see how small you were. Um, when vendors come in, you you know you were always you know my my father when he was calling on customers on the road would always um, stay in motel sixes. You did you did say. Right underneath the shell game, you said create the impression you're desirable in demand. Yeah, you had said when we were talking about marketing, you said when he was calling on customers, he would stay at Motel 6, but if he was going to a trade show, he'd stay at, you know, the fancy hotel, the, you or, know, Caesar's Palace or whatever. Or, or if he was had a, a, or if he was staying, um, if he was traveling to see a vendor, same thing. Um, like in, they were going to meet at the hotel, uh, right. he would stay, stay at a nice hotel. It's that the fancy one. Yeah, you're you're giving the impression of success. Um, not a, not an over the top one, but not not the Motel Six. Right, right. It wasn't the Ritz Carlton, but maybe it was the Marriott Residence Inn or something. Exactly, just not the right. Motel Six, which is what he where he normally stayed at. <laughs> sure, sure. One of the things you said here, and I, I don't think this belongs in the beginning of the chapter, but I think it's valuable, is you put here, send me an invoice. I think you meant maybe you've had vendors in the past where they don't send invoices. Um, yeah, I guess that is true. Um, we've got a number of particularly machine shops who forget to invoice you. Um, yeah, no, no, it's one of those things. You, you put together an outline, you know, five months ago, and you're trying to think, what was I thinking back at that time? Um, hmm. One thing we'd always do a very good job of, or, or I always try to do, is um, whenever I visit a mill, um, mm-hmm. and I learned this from my father, was to stick your head in and talk to the credit person. Because the credit person is the one who's giving you the, or approving the net 60-day terms, and, you know, it just, it's, I mean, he he always, he, um, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff dealing with vendors, frankly, I, I think I learned from JP. Um, let's see. What else is interesting about vendors? Um, well, I got I got more on the list here. We'll go through it. And, okay. You know, I mean, I I think what you were referring to on send me an invoice yeah. is a lot of t- you know. I think what you were referring to is they wouldn't send it like every month. And then all of a sudden, there you got like four or five months worth of invoices, and they want you to pay it all at once or something. Yeah, that, well, that's I mean, when you're particularly with your, um, you know, maybe when you're starting up, maybe if somebody doesn't want to invoice you or, or is lazy about invoicing you, and you're trying to make ends meet and have cash flow. I mean, maybe you. I'm not sure if. Um, if I was starting up, and there was somebody who's slow about invoicing. Um, I'd complain that much, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, um, so okay, all right. Um, being fair, holding accountable—that was one of the things here on the outline. Being yeah. fair, holding accountable. Well, I, th- I think, um, particularly with vendors, um, it's one of those things we talked about a little bit last, um. Last week, a um, a business, a sales transaction is kind of a, a, a mutual contract between both parties, um, and I think it really applies when you've got a a vendor who's going to be supplying you a critical part of what you're making or what you're distributing or what you're selling. Um, and you know, if you tell a vendor that you're going to do X amount of items or X amount of tons or X amount of dollars, I mean, you, you know, you really need to 
try to um, deliver what you committed to. Both um, quantities. Yeah, and I think the vendor, if they tell you they can make X amount of items or X amount of tons, um, I think the vendor needs to be able to deliver what they commit to. Um, so it goes both ways is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of holding each other accountable. Um, you know, we do a number of things, um, and not all – I mean, one of the things we do to kind of um, keep – and this can bite you and, and and it's bitten us, but it also – I like to – I typically do not like prices tied to various indices. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love to monitor indices. And so um, we sell plastic bags that go around bales. So we monitor plastic resin prices. Obviously, we Mm -hmm. monitor steel prices. I mean, if you're... As a commodity, is that what you mean? Exactly. Um, I mean, if you're buying um, containers of clothes for redistribution from China, if you're running a retail shop, I mean... You know, there's a number of things that go into that. The um, the Chinese one, because we monitor currencies, um, we monitor ocean freight. I mean, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that really affects the cost of the product you're buying. And you know, cotton would be the first thing I'd think of for clothing. Cotton would be a great one. Um, yeah. And so all those things go into the cost, and so um. I mean, it gives you an ability when they're going down to kind of touch up your vendors for some reduced pricing, which, if you're not in a commodity business, gives you an opportunity to reduce, to increase margins. Or if a, mm-hmm. or if a vendor's coming to you for a price increase um, and all the all the indices are showing that it's not justified, you can you have some you got some bargaining power. You have some bargaining power, some ammunition to kind of um, negotiate away or reduce the price increase. Right. Right, because they can say, if they're saying, we need a, let's say, just 10% increase, and you go, well, wait a minute, the prices on whatever have gone down 3% in the last quarter or whatever. Right. Yep. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so we for so with vendors, um I I like to monitor these indices. I don't like to tie the indices because tying the indices is a um dangerous game. You may you may end up taking a price increase where you can't re- increase your own prices. And it might have been a price increase that the vendor might not have passed through, but if you're tied to an index and the commodity goes up, um yeah, so I, I don't like tying to the indices, but I like using the indices as kind of a a background or a context. Um, right. So it sounds like what you're saying is beyond the ball. Uh, for all the all the cost elements of what you're selling, yeah. The, ma- the major components. And that kind of leads into the next thing on the outline here. It says you make the money on buying. Well, when you're in a commodity... Um, which we sell, um, mm-hmm. you make your money on the buy, no doubt. And um, what that means is, I mean, when you're selling into a commoditized market, um, I mean, even T-shirts. I mean, I don't think you could sell a T-shirt for $55, Um if you're buying t-shirt, if you're selling t-shirts for 19.95, I mean, you can buy you can buy t-shirts uh, at a print shop down the corner for you know, Gildan or some of the the other distributors for um, you know, twelve bucks. That gives you a, you know, that gives you an eight dollar margin. That's not bad. Um, that's forty percent. You can buy. I, I guarantee you can buy the same t-shirt from China for two dollars. Um, mm-hmm. And so even by even on that level, um, which you know is are T-shirts commoditized? You know maybe. I mean there's kind of a there's kind of a, a limit to what somebody's going to pay for a T-shirt. Um, 
And so, you know, you're not going to be able to charge like the rifle or the knife. You're not going to be able to charge $75 for a T-shirt. Yeah, but, you know, you get, you get into the area of, like, let's say fashion, all right, and all of a sudden you're hanging it up in a fancy-schmancy display at Saks Fifth Avenue, and then it says $120 on a T-shirt. And that that's a different, and that's that's almost along that lines of selling emotions. Um, right, right, like that, like the twenty thousand dollar rifle in a way. Exactly. So you you can make money um, on the by tr- traditionally the the dream way of doing it is is pricing something and making X amount. Um, but you also can make money on the on the buy. And in my business, you make. You, you almost exclusively make money on the buy. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, competitive sourcing is, is critical. I mean, it, it gets a little harder when you, um, you're you in the beginning because, like I said, you just you don't know really. For example, we were, we were looking at entering the fencing market in the U.K. not too long ago. Um, fencing, like the, the Olympic sport? Uh, oh, fencing, fencing like, fencing like um, <laughs> yeah, like field fence. Yeah. Okay. Um, for sheep or cattle. Sure. And you know, the only way you know of you know, kind of to get a, a first impression of of market prices, we were we would be selling to a place like a a farm and ranch place, mm-hmm. and the farm and ranch place is going to be making. 25%, right? So right. if they're if they're selling a roll of fencing for $20, we'd have to be selling it to them for $15. $15. Correct. And so if we wanted to make 15%, say 20%, we'd have to be buying it for 12. Um and so you can kind of work this is a little bit some of the business plan I guess also, but I mean um you know, so you you kind of go out to your vendors and kind of get pricing to kind of determine, um, you know, what's what what a competitive price would be. Um, you know, the actual pricing we were getting was not as competitive as we would have. It was above twelve, so we decided not to go forward. Um, but once you and we also do a number of things in which we, um, and this is maybe more on the sale, but it involves vendors also. Um, I'll go in on a deal if it's a large deal um, at current costs from a from a mill or a vendor because um, maybe I don't want to spend a bunch of time discussing it with the vendor or the mill, get the business and then go back and and negotiate better pricing kind of after the fact but again mm-hmm. that, that's a, that's an example of making making money on the buy right um yeah, that's, that's almost, I don't want to say exclusively a commoditized comment, because um, it's not, back to the T-shirt. Um, but, um, you know, the book, I, the book I wrote on real estate investing, that gentleman said the same thing, you make the money on the buy. Well, I mean, I think that's, an, that's a great example. Um, all right, you go down the street, and you do all your comps and everything else, um, and... You know, if you're flipping houses or if you're um, if you're renting houses or whatever, I mean, rent, example, or or renting is. I mean, you're typically if you um, your monthly rent is point eight percent, point eight to one percent of your um, your property value. That's that's typically the general rule of thumb. You're you're probably not going to be able to rent your house at one point five, one point five, maybe one's the top end. So, um. Hundred thousand dollar house, thousand dollar monthly payment. Five hundred thousand dollar house, five thousand dollar monthly payment. Um, the, the really the way to change that economic is if you were able to buy the house on the cheap and then fix it up right. or do something. So I mean, yeah, there, there's that's a good comment. There's a bunch of businesses. Um, if you're flipping, or, and frankly, if you're just investing, and I guess it, I guess this also applies to even just stocks. I mean, you know. But real so I'm just great. saying it's a totally different business model. But it's a great yours. example of making the money on the buy. You know what I mean? Yep. And the guy said the exact same thing. Denise, you make the money on the buy. Yep. You know? So. 
Uh, cars. I mean, if you know, you know these used car lots. Sure. Um, I mean, we've seen it. You know, you and I like that show, the the profit. Um, Marcus Lemonis has bought into a couple. You know. There was a car place in New York City. I think that's where it was, or Philly like or something dad, like that. Yeah, his the, dad started it, and his dad passed away and left it to the two sons, and the two sons were at each other's throats. That's right. And, you know, right. um, but they, he ended up ch- changing the um, the model and the, the guys that were, that were coming and selling them cars because they were paying right. too much. Um, right. And that's another example of making the money on the buy. You can't. I don't think you can sell in today's world a, a 2010 um, Honda Accord. I mean, you run a blue book value. Um, you know, if it's if retail number is seven thousand dollars, it's in decent shape. You're not going to be able to sell it for ten thousand dollars. You're going to have right. to sell it for seven thousand dollars. And so, if you buy it for six, you're going to make a thousand. If you buy it for five, you're going to make two thousand. Um, and so that's another example of making your money on the buy. It's kind of right. funny. But so there's, cars are, there's cars are three cars. very different business models. You know, yours, real estate, and cars, where they all say you make the money on the buy. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Um, two more things here on your outline, which you've talked about a little bit. I don't know if you have anything you want to add is you said we'd meet off-site so they didn't see how small we are, and you also talked about making the right impression. Uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about that. Meeting off-site, I mean, um, yeah, the um, we did used to have, so if you had, the, if you had a meeting in your office, um, this kind of goes, this kind of dovetails with that having neighbors call. But, you know, there were times when we would have, you know, we'd meet at the airport or we'd meet, you know, at a hotel conference room. And it wasn't because we needed the conference room, right? But the it's conference because, room uh, was cool, right? Uh, and the offices were two rooms and a, you know, two rooms and a dog. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you, you didn't want There's always been wanna... a dog there, Bill. There's always been a dog here, but, yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean that's that was that's a great example of um you know again perception and reality and um sure it's kind of back it's it kind of dovetails also through skill with marketing um I mean you're marketing your company to everybody including your vendors um and at the startup you're you know it's not dishonest but you're marketing a different impression of what your company frankly is than you know. Or it may be at Realize that moment. where you want to be. Yeah, right? exactly. You're, you're marketing Realize where you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we um, we would definitely, you know, do off-sites. And, again, it wasn't, you know, today we do off-sites just to get away from the corporate atmosphere just so we can, you know, people aren't interrupting us in a meeting. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the time, we did off-sites for, um, for perception. You know, you know one one example where like a really small business can create a um, impression is: Are you familiar with like those executive offices? Yes. Right, where you know you just have this little small office. Maybe it's twelve by twelve feet or something, or maybe you got a couple of those. But the you know the lobby and the reception area is really nice, and the conference center is really nice, and all of that. No. That's exactly. I was. I was thinking the exact same thing, and I was also thinking that maybe. I'll be honest. Maybe. I guess it depends on the industry you're in, the business you're in, and the vendors and everything. But um, it's a, maybe a little different in today's world, in which being kind of a, a two-person office is can be kind of cool, I guess, from a vendor standpoint. But you know, it's still if you're um, whether the vendor thinks it's cool or or kind of hip or whatever. I mean. If you if you believe in making your money on the buy, you know typically you're having to give a certain impression um, of size and solvency and and um, you know just who the company is to get the price point you need. I mean, there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of things that go into packaging yourself to a vendor. Um, you know, including the meeting off the site, including being a you know partner. Including, you know, the 
you know, meeting with the, you know, everybody, including the person who takes the orders from our inside sales group, um, the credit guy. Um, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff that goes um, into that. Right. And frankly, right, but, I think we used to be better than we are today, just because uh, you know, I, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a knock on me, but I'm, I'm, I can afford to be a little lazier and do, work on other things. Mm-hmm. Because again, you, you, you know, you're just we swing a much bigger stick than my father was able to. Right. It's, it's right. really amazing, and and the the great examples of what we've done, frankly, are, were mainly under my father's watch. You know, I, I kind of carried through the ideas of. Um, Treat your vendors as you know partners, and you know it's as important to keep a vendor as it is a customer. That whole mindset, but yeah, it really is something that what JP is able to do because right. I think that's that's what keeps um, it's really what keeps competitors out of my market right now. It's just I just don't think anybody's been able to come in and and you know get any kind of foothold in the in the manufacturers of the product we sell in the United States. Mm-hmm. So you're well. I mean, that's industry dominance, really, is what that is, you know, in a way. Yeah, but you, what's interesting is is the other guy um, had industry dominance back when JP started, and um, you know, there was like I said, there was a little bit of an opening because the other guy was somewhat of a jerk, um, and um, you know, my father was it, you, was it where your dad had worked before. Uh, the other guy was where my father had worked before, yes. Right, so he knew the guy was a jerk. <laughs> yeah, that's pro- yeah, so maybe the, you know, maybe he knew of the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Or that the was, vulnerability. Yep. All right. So um, we got two more things on the list. Um, one says credit department gives you the credit, they can fund your business. And you mentioned before, you know, getting 60 days to pay an invoice or something like that. But tell me more about that. Well, it's just it's a it's a pretty easy, um, you know. Once once we work through and refine our our little um, models for, you know, the finance side, it's a pretty easy math problem to say, okay, how much money do you need if your vendors are, you know, net ten days or net sixty days, um, and you know it's a. And there's a whole bunch of math at different moments in your company's career, you may want to do different things with vendors. Right now, we have quite a bit of headroom on our credit lines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was I was up in Dallas yesterday talking to a vendor about, um, you know, thank you for the net 60 days, which you consider 2% 10 net 60 days. Because I, I, I borrow money at Three percent, which is really half a point per per two months, and if you, if I can discount my bill two percent, then you know I'm I'm actually making one and a half percent extra. Which you know we actually we actually boil that down, and it, it ends up being eleven percent return on borrowed money, which is ah sure sure which is very which is very good, and so sure. um. If you're in a situation to negotiate early pay discounts, it's it's always you know it's it's good. Um, but at the beginning, the big critical thing I think is just um, trying to get as much um, trying to get as as long a payment turn as you can without sounding desperate. Um, because because it's, you know it's it's free money. Um, the other thing, and again, this is a good example of, of just, you know, I've got the luxury now of being a little lazier towards this. Um, at the beginning, you know, you can't do this very often, but if you've got a cash pinch or you got something, you know, um, it's important to um, reach out to a vendor and say, hey, listen, you know, the Memorial Day holiday kind of was, was slow. We, you know, I don't. We, I, may, I may have, I screwed up two months ago on on bringing in too much inventory. Hey, we're a little slow on cash. Can you, um, you know, just can you help me out? Or I just wanted to let you guys know that you know we've got these invoices that were due this week, scheduled for next week, and that's the reason why we're a little slow. Um, 
at the beginning, it's important to have those kind of communications as opposed to just, you know, kind of. Well, that's really important with personal finances as well. It's like it is. Um, if something's going to be a little late because someone's getting new money late or whatever, it's good to let them know that. Yeah, and I'm not even sure um, there's much difference, frankly. I mean, you, yeah, it's just, it's, one, it's, it's you're, if you do that every single time a set invoices do, you know, you're going to lose credibility. But if you do it occasionally, you're actually going to build credibility. Um, you know, it's not a fun conversation to have. It's, you know, you know, it's one of those things I once, I read just recently that there, there's a, there's a, a, a person's success is somewhat um, linked to the number of uncomfortable conversations he has in a day. And, you know, that's, that call to a vendor, hey, we're slow, um, is not a fun conversation to have. But, I mean, you know, as long as you're not doing it a lot, it, it actually builds credibility. It's kind of like what we're talking about with customer service. Sometimes a, um, a problem is an opportunity to kind of set yourself apart. Are you familiar with a um, speaker? He's been around for years and years called Brian Tracy. I don't think I know Brian Tracy. <clears throat> anyway. Brian Tracy wrote a book a few years ago called Eat That Frog. Mm -hmm. And the idea is, is if you will do like the most unpleasant things you have to do at the beginning of the day, you'll be more successful. And that, that's very similar to the statement, the number of uncomfortable conversations you have in a day is, is, is right. directly right. proportional what, to your success. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, the last thing you have on the list, and then I got a couple more questions for you before we wrap up today, is it just says perform, do the do. That is probably similar to um, what we're saying. Send me an invoice. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, and um, also, I think you have to perform for your vendors like your vendors have to perform for you. Um, you know, obviously the vendor, that goes back to the two-way relationship. I mean, um, you know, the, a vendor has to give you a product which meets your quality expectations, whatever those may be. Um, a vendor has to deliver it when you expect it to, or when you need it to be there. I mean, they have to be um, competitive on the pricing, whatever that means. Um, and they have to, um, you know, give you whatever kind of terms you can negotiate which benefits your organ capital. And there like every one of those things has a flip side of it. You know, if a vendor is going to commit to making a certain product on a quality and and maybe is working ahead of your orders, um you have to take it. You have to take it when you say you're going to take it. I mean, um you should pay your bills and try to pay your bills on time. I mean, all that um so that's the two companies performing for each other. Um, That's you know, kind of the partnership aspect. It, it is, yeah. Yeah. So if you were mentoring someone who's, you know, putting together a startup and everything, and you were saying, you know, my dad, one of the things he did right is he created this feel like this is going to be a partnership, Right. So how would you mentor that new startup in terms of what they would say to a prospective vendor to um, uh, give that impression of a partnership? Well, I think talking about growing together is, you know, that's a buzzword, but it's it's a very valid word. Um, I mean, a vendor vendor likes to hear that, that, you know, they're, they can be part of your growth, and as you're successful, they're successful. And if, you're, if they're successful, you're successful. Um, and so that shows it's a two-way street, not a one-way street. Um, you know, that, that, you know I, I, think, I think you want to, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you want to sell yourself um, and make an impression of what the company is and what it's going to be um, and make them want to be a part of it. Um, I am... Um, I think the uh, you know an apprentice needs to realize again that you know the vendor is is critical again back to that car place i mean um 
you know, if you do your job marketing and the place looks nice, you're you're probably going to have foot traffic, right? Sure. But but you got to have cars to sell. And so however these guys go out and wholesale wholesale buy the cars, I mean, that's almost as important and, and what price they're doing it and all the other stuff we talked about as um you know, I mean, if you can't if you can't sell, you're dead. But uh, um and if you can't be polite to your customers and make them feel wanted and make them want to want the cars in your showroom, you know, like I said, you're 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 in the wrong business. But as important as that front part is, is where you're getting your cars and how you're buying it. Same thing with the wire. Probably the same with the real estate. Um I mean so um you know, it's it's really a critical um element to business. And you know, to me to me, like I said, I, I just feel like when you're sitting down with a vendor it's a um it's a two way street. It's you know, I get I a lot of my salespeople don't understand that and they they think vendors are there to yell at or to, to get the lowest price and drive them to the killing floor every time or to um you know, if there's any kind of if there's any kind of problem with the product you know, to to stick it in their ear. I mean, um, yeah, that's just because that's kind of the, and you know, our philosophy is not to act that way. And because you know, if if your vendor makes something that's um, not not up to your quality standards, but if you try to do something with it, if you try to help them move it, or if you try to use it in a different process or something to kind of help their problem go away, that goes them. That that goes miles eventually, and right. so um, back to the two-way partnership. So I mean that's that's probably the one I think you need to get your um, your apprentice to realize how critical vendors are, um, and they're not just doormats to you know walk walk across. Um, and if you two, want to give a family impression, you don't want to give a dysfunctional family impression. No, it's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, I mean that's yeah that's um. I think it's interesting because um. Yeah, it's as you see the the sales group we have um and you know to an element we've talked a little bit about kind of some of this book now instead of just being pure entrepreneurial is just kind of for also people in organizations who. And part of those my people in my organization who who just um are missing some of these key elements of um you know running a business successfully or at least my perception of how to run a business um and so you know it may not even be a startup it may be somebody just reading the book to um realize um you know wanting to grow and realize that you know vendors are partners not you know like I said somebody to step on right. Right. Any closing thoughts on vendors you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I think I just made them. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do too. I just, yeah. I just want to make sure nothing goes left unsaid. No, I think, um, like I said, it's one of the shorter sessions, just because I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to call it basic, because you know, vendors are, like I said, probably one of the more yeah, important parts. If you say a lot of businesses miss that, it's not very basic. You know? It's not. It, it's my opinion, and like I said, I mean, I know, um, I know the guy we were competing with. A lot of the mills, I, I picked up two mills, um, eventually, over the past ten years that are critical key mills that allowed us to go into markets that we were not able to participate in. Um, as far as geographic markets. Yes. Um, I mean, critical mills. Geographically, we probably could not have competed in the Northeast um, without one of the mills that we brought on in 2002, 2003. And the only reason we brought that mill on is because that other guy walked all over that other mill. And so, um, and, and frankly, we at one time kind of made a misstep with one of our mills on the West Coast. And it left the door open for another guy to go in, and so we were we were we were maybe being a little too mercenary. So treat each other like human beings. Yeah, I mean, I've like I said, I've I've had it on both sides. Right. 
where I've, I've probably, you know, been not as, as open or fair with the mill that I, I should have been in retrospect, and it opened the door for a competitor to get in there. Um, in addition mm-hmm. to me, but, I mean, we were exclusive with that guy up till then. Um, and on a much better, much happier scene, I mean, there's been two mills that literally, because the other guy was a jerk we've got into and just, you know, just really expanded market share because of it. And now you're buying all his production? A lot of it, yeah. A lot of it, okay. But that, that kind of gives you another example of how critical the mill is more than the customers. We couldn't have gone in that region until we got the, the mill. Right, right. Okay, good. Okay, good. So next week is, today is the 6th. So that means if he's going to be back on the 12th, that'll be next Friday. Yep, You're so hopefully, hopefully we'll be good to go. Keith. Okay. All right. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, listen, have fun in Austin at your daughter's, was it a soccer game? That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. My step-granddaughter, she's, she'll be 12 in December, and soccer is her life, you know. So yeah, I, yeah sometimes, I understand. You know. Yeah, so sometimes we're we're off there. And enjoy the wedding in Austin. Well, thank, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. You all have a nice All weekend right. also. Okay, I'll talk to you in a week. All right, bye-bye. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.